The 27th United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP27, kicks off this weekend in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Delegates from 190 countries, including hundreds of climate activists and 90 heads of state, are expected to attend the two-week conference, which is supposed to see countries make ambitious commitments to address the climate crisis. But despite all of this scientific evidence pointing to a catastrophic climate future under a business-as-usual scenario, the world's largest carbon emitters are still not meeting their commitments under the Paris Climate Agreement to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. India Logan Riley, a senior member of the New Zealand Action Station, has attended past COPs and a member of her organisation will be in Egypt for this year's edition she says bold climate pledges are often made but rarely fulfilled. She spoke with RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis. So this weekend world leaders are going to be gathering for COP27. What do you hope is urgently changed and spoken about at this COP27? Yeah, we're definitely in an age now where the impacts of climate change are being brutally felt by more and more communities. And so it's really important at this year's COP that we have countries committing to meaningful action on climate change rather than just um, soft solutions or false solutions like carbon trading that continue to let emitters emit and make climate change worse. And also on the agenda this year is um, the potential of getting a really good decision on loss and damage. And so loss and damage is impacts on communities that can't be mitigated or adapted to, that the damage of climate change goes far beyond what a community can cope with. So an example of that might be um, losing a keystone species um, that a community relies upon, or in the case of the communities that I come from or in the Pacific Islands um, where our land is lost to sea level rise and um, extreme weather event erosion. And so there needs to be finance there to help communities recover um, and to compensate for um, the impacts of climate change that are largely being driven by rich countries. And so we've seen a growing movement across many COPs in many decades um, for a meaningful um, movement to be made on loss and damage. And so this COP will be the COP where we hopefully get to have a major win, either in making it a permanent discussion point um, where countries have to make progress on it into the future at future negotiations, um, but also possibly in the form of a finance mechanism to help funnel funds towards loss and damage. Mm. And conversations, they have been happening. We've been covering them throughout the year as well um, on different platforms and different events. But has there been any meaningful progress from those nations that, you know, should be standing up and, and committing to this? Yeah, what we continue to see is wealthier countries being the break on climate action, uh, it's largely to protect their profits and largely to maintain um, their power, especially for countries like New Zealand, Australia, Canada, America, um, who um, continue to also um, oppress Indigenous communities who've been speaking up about climate change, have been pushing back on extraction for hundreds of years now. And so there's ways in which they behave at the negotiations that are really in contradiction with the direction that we need to be going in in terms of meaningful reduction. Um, and so it's really 
going to be interesting to see if there's going to be any kind of shift on that. We are starting to see some glimmers of progress and kind of acknowledgement of the social justice elements of climate action, how important it is to make sure that no one's left behind, to make sure that Indigenous communities have a right to say what happens in terms of climate action and that kind of thing. Um, but it should have happened decades ago and it needs to be happening faster. And so it'll be interesting to see what particularly changes in government has meant for some of those big polluters like Australia. Is the world doing enough to address climate change? There are some communities who are doing amazingly. There are some countries who are doing amazingly, particularly Global South countries, um, where we are seeing those hampered efforts or those not fast enough efforts are definitely in the more affluent countries who, who want to continue to extract. Yeah. And is climate change denial hampering efforts? I think we've moved beyond climate change denial and more towards climate change complacency. So an embracing of a greenwashing of the carbon economic system and the current systems of decision making and that kind of thing to make them seem like they're taking action on climate change, but definitely um, not meaningful or in the form of climate justice and, and what we need to be achieved moving forward. Yeah. Where are those unmeaningful, you know, actions or non-actions coming from which communities or which countries or can you give me an example of that particularly corporations like the big fossil fuel corporations who are trying to continue to argue that they should be allowed to extract you know saying that natural gas is a transition fuel or something like that when we know when you break the numbers down that's actually not the case they just want to continue making money or in the case of car companies, you know, that everyone could have an electric car, but that would actually mean extracting so much mineral from the ground that that would destroy communities who live in the areas where those minerals are from and also continue to have negative impacts on our urban environment and our social well-being in terms of, you know, pedestrian-friendly communities and walkability and cyclability that have so many co-benefits as well, you yeah. And I guess that is also then, you know, governments as well, because, you know, New Zealand, for example, where I live, um, we are having these same sorts of talks as well around moving towards electric vehicles. Do you see that as a, an eff a, a effort that's, I guess, hampering progress in a way? Yeah, we have to be really careful I guess, about looking to the heart of solutions and, and that means we need to know really clearly what the origins of climate change were and what kinds of communities were forced to pay the price for our current system and so particularly like Indigenous communities, people of colour, um, where our autonomy and our decision making, our obligation to take care of the environment as well as everyone around us um, was violently eradicated by colonial governments and that includes the New Zealand government and so there are solutions that have been offered by the New Zealand government particularly around the emissions trading scheme or around transitioning to electric vehicles that continue to kind of focus on individual solutions rather than say an all-out support for uh, public transport you know employing a whole lot of people to develop our inter-regional rail infrastructure or to um, restoring our forests and, and planting out um, areas that need to be reforested instead of leaving them to pine forestry and that kind of thing. There's ways in which we can really look at the origins of climate change and see what those clear solutions are. And then we have governments like New Zealand, which 
um, seem to be listening more to corporations than frontline communities. 